All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are talking about Drake London and how much more explosive he can make this Falcons offense. And then later we'll be joined by Derek Klassen of Football Outsiders and Bleacher Report to give his thoughts on this Falcons 2022 draft class, his thoughts on London, uh, Arnold Ebiketti, and why Desmond Ritter was QB1 for him. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at falcfans.com, RIP. Still going strong on Twitter at falcfans. And, of course, the host of this preeminent Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked on Sports Atlanta podcast family. And like all Locked on Sports Atlanta podcasts, you can find Locked on Falcons free and available on a variety of podcast platforms Monday through Friday, Apple, Odyssey, Google, Spotify, as well as on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the Locked on Falcons YouTube channel and you'll get the video version of the podcast the night before the audio drops so guys uh you know again appreciate you guys for making lockdown falcons your first listen and um you know today we're going to be talking quite a bit about explosive plays later in the episode we'll be joined by Derek Klassen of football outsiders and bleacher report to talk about this falcons 2022 draft class at the end of the episode there's a couple of listener questions that i will answer uh but let's you know continue our locked on drake london uh week long extravaganza you know that will ultimately culminate in uh next sunday or this sunday's now uh you know scouting report where i do my comprehensive breakdown of drake london so you don't want to miss it make sure you subscribe to locked on falcons on your preferred podcast platform so that you can get it sunday night on youtube or monday morning uh on the audio version of that um, but, uh, we'll be talking all about explosive plays here. Got a couple of graphics for you guys. So again, another reason to subscribe to the lockdown Falcons on YouTube. Um, and this first graphic is not that important. I'm going to show it to you guys and I'm just, you know, showing it to you so that, you know, I'm not just basically pulling these numbers out of my butt. Um, you know, I'll probably, what I'll wind up doing is linking to a, a, a spreadsheet that has a little bit more information on it. Uh, you know, a Google doc or whatever the case may be. I'll, I may put that in the description below. Um, but really what you want to pay attention to what these shows is. These are a bunch of rookie wide receivers and Kyle Pitts uh, over the last, you know, five years um, where they were drafted, you know, what their production was as a rookie with receiving receptions, yards, how many routes they ran, what was their yards per route run, uh, how many targets they had, how many pass attempts their teams had. So what their share was of their um, team's pass attempts based off of their targets. And then the explosive plays, the 20 plus yard plays, how many yards they generated off of those, what percentage of their receptions were 20 plus yard plays, what percentage of their yards came on 20 plus yard plays. And then the far right column, which is the one that we're going to be focused on today uh, is how many of, you know, how many explosive plays they got, you know, per route or whatever the percentage of that. Uh, And so they're ranked in descending order. And right now, because of, you know, going back to previous conversations we've had on this podcast, 
and we're expecting Drake London because he's going to go into Atlanta and be sort of the number one guy. And we discussed this on yesterday's episode. Uh, and that's an uh, opportunity that most rookies don't necessarily go into. We should expect Drake London to get a lot of playing time. And if we're expecting him to run, you know, somewhere between five, around five, between 500 and 600 routes this year. So let's split the difference and, and say he's going to run 550 routes, uh, where if you look at this graphic, the only people that ran more than that in the rookie season were Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle this last year, thanks to the 17 game schedule. Um, but if Drake London runs roughly 550 routes this season, uh, assuming he can stay healthy, uh, you know, if he, if 2.1% of those result in big plays, uh, that will put him about 12 big plays this season. 2.1% is what Amon Ross St. Brown did, um, his, this past year as a rookie, if he hits 2.5%, which would mean he's slightly above what Calvin Ridley did as a rookie of 2.4%. In 2018, you know, 2.5% for Drake London of his routes being exposed to plays would be about 14 big plays this year. Uh, if he hits 3.1%, which is what Kyle Pitts had last year, that would be 17 big plays this year. And if he gets to uh, 4%, which would exceed A.J. Brown, uh, not quite Justin Jefferson or Debo Samuel levels, uh, but 4% would be about 22 big plays this season. So for me, you know, when I look at uh, the C sort of numbers and my expectations for what Drake London uh, should do and how much he should play this year, you know, I, I think it's fairly safe to assume that that range for Drake London in terms of explosive plays that he can generate this year uh, is between 12 and 22. I think that's a pretty safe assumption that it'll be somewhere in that range. And you guys know, again, I love to split the difference between the floor and the ceiling. Uh, and so that means 17 big plays should be a reasonable expectation for Drake London uh, this season. And let me throw that graphic back up there on the screen. And that would put him on par with Cortland Sutton, uh, who had 17 big plays in his rookie season in 2018. But the thing to note about Sutton's rookie season is he wasn't a high volume receiver. He only had 42 receptions that year. Um, only 13% target share uh, with the Broncos because Emmanuel Sanders was their go-to weapon. They also had Demarius Thomas before he got injured that year. Uh, so really with Cortland Sutton, he had a, a number of big plays and it resulted in a very high percentage of his receptions being explosive plays, 40, uh, over 40%. Now, I think in the case of Drake London, that number is probably going to be closer to 20% because I do expect him to get a high amount of volume in this Falcons offense. I do, you know, I think a lot of people sort of are envisioning Drake London to be this sort of, you know, a uh, big play maker. And, you know, a lot of the Falcons offense will be downfield throws and jump balls and contested catches. And, and it may, I certainly think we'll see a, a bit of that. Uh, but I also think you're going to see a, a healthy mix uh, in a, a lot of his production coming on sort of short throws, quick slants, underneath throws and whatnot. And so, you know, that percentage of his receptions that will actually result in big plays may be much lower than it is with some of those other guys on the high end. And so I think, you know, the key for the Falcons this season, uh, alongside getting, you know, maximizing Drake London's big play potential is also maximizing the big play potential of other playmakers uh, in their offense. And I kept track of, you know, the last, couple of seasons, you know, what the top four playmakers in their offense uh, in terms of explosive plays have done. Uh, and those guys have consistently combined for about 75 to 80 
25% of the team's big plays. If you add up all the big plays from the top four guys. Uh, but when you look at 2021, I got another graphic for you guys. Um, you know, 2021, they had about 38 big plays between their top four guys. That was Kyle Pitts, Cordero Patterson, Russell Gage, and Alameda Zacchaeus. Uh, and that was actually 83% of all of their big plays. And you compare that to the five previous seasons, you know, that number of 83% is significantly higher than those other seasons, you know, notably the 2016 season where they had 59 uh, 20 plus yard plays from their top four playmakers. And that was only 70%. So they not only got a whole bunch of big plays from their top four guys, mostly Julio, almost counting for half of those numbers. And then, you know, relative to some of these other years, uh, they had a lot more big plays from sort of the peripheral players. And so, you know, my hope for this year uh, when we look at guys like Kyle Pitts and Drake London, my hope is that those guys can hit 38 by themselves this year. So if, you know, London gets you 17, then, you know, my hope is that Kyle Pitts can get you 21 or something like that, somewhere in that range. Uh, and then if you can get a comparable amount of big plays from what you got last year at a Cordero Patterson, which was 10, if you can say, let's say he gets eight this year, at least eight this year, that's going to put you at at least like 46 or so. And then whoever emerges as that fourth guy, you know, that guy, whoever pro- presumably would be the second wide receiver opposite Drake London, which my guess is going to be either Demir Bird or Alameda Zacchaeus. Um, you know, if that guy can get you another half dozen, you know, that's going to put you in the fifties potentially, which is a respectable number compared to previous years and puts this Falcons offense, at least in terms of explosiveness on par with what sort of the norm is. The average across the last six seasons is 50 such big plays. So if you can break that number this year, that's a good sign for this Falcons offense. And so when we look at guys like Tamir Bird, you know, he had 10 explosive plays, 20 plus yard plays with New England back in 2020 when he was kind of the de facto number two. So that's a good number uh, for him to have if he winds up being that guy. Alameda Zacchaeus is coming off a career high four big plays this past season. So we'll need to see him increase that number, hopefully, you know, potentially double that number uh, if he does emerge as sort of the number two wide receiver. So I can certainly see a world where the Falcons are getting 50 plus big plays from their top four guys, whoever those guys may wind up being. And that results in a total number potentially uh, of 65 or 70 explosive plays this season, which will probably put them in the upper half of the league. Uh, when you look at most years, uh, that would have been in the 10 to 15 range range in last year uh, based off of the number of explosive plays. And, you know, that's kind of, to me, kind of the ceiling for this team in terms of explosiveness uh, or a reasonable ceiling, I guess you could say, without you expecting them to be one of the the best offenses in the league. Um, And then you could also, on the flip side, see a relatively low floor, though. And that results in, you know, you're not getting as many big plays from London. You know, that number is closer to 12 than it is to 17. And Kyle Pitts doesn't get show off more explosiveness this year than he did significantly more explosiveness this year than he did last year. And then whoever, you know, you see significant drop off from Patterson. You see, you know, whoever that number uh, four guy is, whether that's, you know, Bird or Zacchaeus or somebody else, that guy doesn't really produce at a high level. And so all of a sudden, um, you know, you're looking at a situation where, you know, those top four guys are, are getting less than 40 big plays and your, you know, your total number is barely approaching 50. And that puts them once again, like they were a year ago at the bottom of the league. And so, you know, I know a lot of people probably look at that and say, okay, what's the big deal? It's a 
couple big plays here or there. Well, last year on drives that included a big play, the Falcons averaged about four points per drive and on drives without a big play, they average one point per drive. And so essentially uh, you can argue that a big play is the difference between three points Um, in, you know, we saw last year roughly a quarter of NFL games were decided by three points or less. Um, so potentially, you know, one big play or, you know, one field goal uh, is, you know, the, the difference between a, a four game swing in terms of wins and losses. Potentially, if you're the team that can consistently make those big plays, uh, you know, you're more likely to win those four games as opposed to not. So that can be a significant difference uh, for a football team. Um, and so, you know, my conclusion is that I do expect the Falcons to be more explosive than they were last year. It's just a question of how much more explosive. Is it by a little bit? Is it by a lot? You know, I think a little bit means that the Falcons are in for a very rough season. A lot means that they certainly will have the capability of competing uh, against some of the better teams that they face on their upcoming schedule. And, you know, who knows, get the right breaks late in the game. Who knows what the results can be? Maybe some positive results for the Falcons. Uh, And so I think a lot of that leans heavily on Drake London and sort of where he falls on that spectrum, that 10 play range that I put out earlier, 12 to 22 big plays. Where does he fall in that spectrum? I think could go a long way to determining uh, how explosive this offense could be and certainly could go a long way to determining how good this team could be. But that's where we'll leave the Drake London conversation and we'll continue talking about Drake London as well as the rest of the Falcons 2022 draft class with Derek Klassen of Football Outsiders and Bleach Report coming up on today's episode, guys. But before we get there, I do want to plug the Locked On Sports Atlanta podcast family. Uh, And of course, on Locked On Sports Atlanta, you get three different shows with three different, you know, perspectives. Uh, four different personalities all intermingling on the same feed. You got A to Z with Mark Zeno. You got Hit and Hard with John Chuckery. And you got ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste. Find out all you want on all of Atlanta and Georgia sports as well as national headline-making sports and get all those guys and girls' perspective on those things. And of course, Locked On Sports Atlanta is also the place to go uh, to find your, you know, post-game Braves breakdown from Grant McCauley, as well as Locked On Braves. So check those out on your preferred podcast platform, Apple Odyssey, Google, Spotify, as well as on YouTube. And guys, speaking of, you know, Braves post-game recaps, if you want to put a little bit of action on the Braves this season, by all means, head on over to betonline.net, the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. You can find podcasts, the latest odds, player props, and contests. You name it, whatever you want, BetOnline has it all. And it's not just Major League Baseball. You can also head on over over there to get in on action for NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, UFC, golf, boxing, esports, your favorite Vegas casino games. If you know, you're feeling frisky about the Falcons win totals, which I think is, um, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but if you want to bet the over under for how many wins the Falcons have this season, of course, uh, based off of how explosive Drake London is going to be, go to betonline.net, betonline where the game starts. So guys, you are locked on Falcons and I am joined by another illustrious guest. I am here with Derek Klassen. You've seen his work over at Football Outsiders as well as at Bleacher Report. And he's here with us to talk about this Falcons 2022 draft class. Some of the players that he really likes. I know he's a big fan of Arnold Ebiketti. We'll get to him uh, coming up. But uh, Derek, welcome 
to Locked on Falcons, and uh, we'll just jump right into it. What are your thoughts on the Falcons 2022 draft class as a whole? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, you know, I always love coming on the show and stuff. Um, so let's see, the Falcons draft class. I mean, first of all, I, I guess, you know, Ritter wasn't their first pick, but I want to start there just because, you know, biggest position quarterback is most important. But Ritter was the kind of guy who, he was my quarterback one. Um, I thought you wouldn't want to take him in the first round necessarily, but I because he was my quarterback one, I'd be like, you know what, you can live with that in the first round. You take a swing at the biggest position, blah, blah, blah. By the time the second round came around, I was like, all right, somebody's got to got to do this. And so the fact that the Falcons could get him in the third, I thought was incredible value because, you know, I just think that he was by far the best processor in this class, just in terms of um, understanding where all his outlets were, understanding how to move in the pocket, like relative to the concept, not just like randomly dodging defenders. He, he was very clearly tying his feet to his eyes, all that sort of stuff. So to me, he was just kind of a pro's pro. I know some people didn't love his ceiling, but I thought his arm was above the threshold and then he's obviously a really good runner you know he was the fastest athlete um for the position at the nfl combine granted willis is obviously better and he didn't test but you know i think ritter is very clearly um has the tools to be a really good player so i just loved that pick and then all the other stuff they did i mean getting arnold ebiketti in the second round i thought he could have gone in the first round drake london was arguably my wide receiver one so taking him where they did i thought was good so i mean overall like you know the falcons are still going to be bad this year but they have players to look forward to which i think is really important I think that's interesting that you bring up that point because I know you were very critical of the Falcons last year in the sort of supporting cast that they put around Matt Ryan. Are you concerned about the supporting cast that they're putting around Desmond Ritter moving forward? It, it's still not good enough. Um, what I will say is, you know, like what could they have really done about the Calvin Ridley situation? Like that part of it is just like stuff happens sometimes. So I can't really blame them for that. However, I still think they really need, even when Ridley was there, they needed more wide receiver talent. And so at this point, they're basically just putting in London for Ridley. And then they still need other guys. You know, I, I think they have like Olamide Zacchaeus. That's not really a starter to me. Um, all the other guys they have are not really NFL starting receivers to me. So, and then even on the offensive line, to me, they have, you know, Matthews is good. Lindstrom is really good. The other guys, ah, <laughs> you know, we'll see. So uh, I still think it's not good enough, but I think, you know, now bringing in a guy like London to pair with a guy like Pitts, whatever they can do next year to supplement this, I think is probably going to be good enough. So, um, you know, I think now they have like a good core. It's just they kind of need to fill out the rest. And it just that wouldn't have been reasonable to do all in one offseason. I mean, you only have so many resources. But like I said, I think they're, they have a good starting point now, which I think is important. OK, now you, you said Drake London was arguably your wide receiver one. What, did, what exactly did you mean by that? Oh, I just meant I also really like Jamison Williams. So okay. that kind of would have just been like a toss up. Like if they took either, I would have been like, yeah, do it, do whatever you want. So um, that was just to me, those guys were the top two. And so to land one of them, home run. Now, what, what do you sort of see as Drake London's potential at the next level? I mean, so I think people, because he's, you know, 6'5", like 215, whatever, I think people have kind of binned him into like, oh, he's going to be Mike Evans. And it's like, that's not really what he does. He can go above the rim. He's really good at that. He can be physical. He's really good at that. Even in the run game, he's a really good blocker. But I think what makes London so fascinating and actually different from Evans is like when, Evan gets, when Evans gets the ball in his hands, he doesn't really make you miss. He doesn't really bounce off tacklers that well. He's just actually really fast once he gets going. It's almost like Derrick Henry playing receiver where like once he gets in stride, he's gone. London is a little bit more like he doesn't really have that long speed, but he's actually a really fluid, explosive athlete in like the short area for a guy his size. And I think that really translates well to his route running, which, you know, I think people were getting mad at his separation. But like if you watch the USC quarterbacks, they were late all the time placing the ball in such a way that like 
he was working back against his separation. So it looked like he didn't separate. I think he's going to be fine at that in the NFL level. And then, like I said, you know, when he gets the ball in his hands, really good, like, He's going to be like a chain moving type where he just is, can make one guy miss. I mean, USC threw him a lot of screens. I don't know if people realize that, but they really liked him getting the ball in his hands. Like a third of their offense was basically just throwing screens to him. So I think he can, he's a guy who can kind of do a little bit of everything. People are going to be mad that he doesn't have the long speed, but he checks every other box. So I don't think there's much to be worried about. Now, you talk about Mike Evans and you hear that comp thrown around a lot. I've also heard a lot of people maybe think Drake London's game's a little closer to Michael Thomas, a uh, wide receiver uh, that, you know, Falcon fans are, of course, also as familiar with as they are with Mike Evans. Do, where do you sort of fall uh, on that sort of compa- comparison? I, I think that's actually a, a lot better of a comparison um, because, you know, again, Thomas doesn't necessarily have the long speed that you would want for a true home run threat, but he's so good in that short area, just so fluid for guy his size um really physical catches and i think london yeah has a lot of those qualities and the other thing that i think kind of compares them is like evans you know is really more of an outside guy uh thomas and even london are really more slot players and i think people realize especially london london spent a lot of time in the slot uh at usc um and i think that's something he's going to be able to do a lot of in the nfl which i think actually kind of makes the pits pairing interesting because like they're going to be able to move both of those guys inside outside pits obviously you can put on the line so i, I think just like personnel wise if they can add a, some other third threat, um, I think they would have a really cool, you know, pairing of talent. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Arnold Ebiketti, a player that you really liked. I know in the Bleacher, Bleacher Report, Scouting Report, he was compared to Harold Landry. Uh, and uh, that's interesting because, of course, Harold Landry's former defensive coordinator's DMP. So there's some parallels there. What is it about Ebiketti's game uh, that you liked? And apparently DMP's is also a big fan of that, that style of player as well. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. I forgot that you know they had the pairing. Or I forgot I compared him to Landry, and so now that piece hasn't, it's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I think Ebiketti just like he doesn't necessarily like knock out of the park anything, but he has good speed. Um, his bend is actually probably his best trait. Um, I thought he was maybe the bendiest guy in the class. You know, him uh, Thibodeau was up there, Jabba was up there, kind of in that tier uh, um, for this class. And actually what really impressed me with him is his hands are really, really good. Like you could see with a lot of these other pass rushers, um, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, uh, David Ajabo. They, they don't always have a plan, didn't know what to do with their hands. Ebiketti was the other way, dude. Like he, he would dice you up five different ways over the course of, um, you know, a half. And, and I thought that was just so impressive that he very clearly understood how to win, different ways to win, how to make one move, set up another, you know, two drives later. I just thought he was such a thoughtful player with really good speed. And Ben, that like he's going to be able to to be maybe not like a, a superstar one pass rusher, you know, your number one, but he could be like a really good number two or like lower end, you know, number one guy, which uh, I think that's pretty good for the second round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, you you talked about the three players that are the most intriguing to me in this Falcons draft class with London, Ritter and Evan Kitty, because they kind of stand out in a lot of ways. Uh, not only because of the positions that they play and whatnot, those are sort of the premium positions that the Falcons went after in this draft. But are there any other players from their draft class that really kind of stand out to you as someone that you're going to keep an eye on moving forward? Um, so, I mean, there are other major ones, you know, at least in the top 100 were Troy Anderson and D'Angelo Malone. I, I, I will throw some uh, <laughs> unfortunate shade on, the, on an otherwise class that I really like. I don't think Troy Anderson is very good. Um, he's basically just a swing on athleticism, right? Um, you know, he's huge, played a bunch of different positions in college, played quarterback, running back safety, I think. Um, and then obviously moved to linebacker towards the end, but 
you watch him and the linebacker instincts just aren't there. Um, however, the other guy that they drafted, D'Angelo Malone, um, really undersized edge guy. I'm interested to, to see what they do with him because I do think he played stronger than his size. It's just that like sub 240 edges don't really exist. So I'm really curious to see how they're able to make him work or if what I really want a team to do with him is move him off the ball like the, the Vikings did with Anthony Barr. Because if you watch him, some of his best traits are just like long speed when he's, you know, chasing guys from behind or chasing plays down the field that got away from him or, or, or whatever. He has crazy speed. So I would almost be more interested to like redshirt him for a year or two, move him off ball and see what happens. I don't think the Falcons are going to do that, but I, I do think he has some interesting tools. And, you know, for the third round, like, screw it. That's, that's a nice swing. Okay. Um, I want to circle back a little bit to Desmond Ritter in terms of talking about not only the short-term, but the long-term future here in Atlanta. Do you feel like it's the Falcons' mission this season to have to get him on the field? You know, I I don't want to say as soon as possible, but early enough so that they can really evaluate him as a player before if they wind up picking high next year and, and may have to dip into what most people think is a stronger draft class. So is that sort of something, your mindset, when it comes to Ritter and his performance this season? I mean, so I would like to see him play, and I think he will play at some point, whether that's, you know, Mariota doesn't have the the greatest health history, so Ritter would probably end up playing. Or even then, I just think, like I mentioned earlier, Ritter's so like a pro-ready type of prospect, I would not be surprised if he just takes over the job at a certain point. But what I would say is that the Falcons are pretty lucky that he fell to the third in the sense that, like, when you draft a quarterback in the third, you don't feel as much pressure to make him the guy. So if they don't see him play and he's, you know, kind of whatever in practice, and then they get, you know, the third pick next year and want to take a quarterback, ah, you only spent a third round pick on Ritter. So it doesn't matter. You can just go take your guy anyway. So I think they're actually in a pretty fortunate position where this can kind of go wherever for them, wherever they want to take it. And, you know, just you take the dice roll and hopefully he works out. Okay. That's fair enough. Um, well, Derek, I, I really appreciate you coming on, you know, short, but sweet, but you, you <laughs> gave a lot of great information here on uh today's episode and and let the people know um you know what you're working on and and maybe give them a little bit of heads up a little uh sneak preview of of sort of your 2023 quarterback takes because i I have a feeling that falcon fans will be very interested in that once we get into the season yeah i could do a little bit of that um so actually i'll start with the my other stuff Uh, you can find me at twitter you know on twitter at qb classes up there on the screen um uh, I do stuff at Bleach Report. You know, we'll be doing the the draft project that we did this year. And then, uh, you know, I do stuff at Football Outsiders. We'll have the Almanac. I want to say early July is when the book will be released. So um, look out for that. I have the NFC North this year. Um, should be a pretty interesting division. Um, let's see. Quick 2023 quarterback takes. I, so I've only charted two games of all the top guys so far. So this is very limited. But I think I'm a Bryce Young guy, um, which is weird because, like, size-wise, not an NFL player, really. He's like, you know, he's probably 5'11". He's probably like 195. But you watch him and it's like, man, he has every tool. The arm is good. The athleticism. He's so good in the pocket. Way quicker processor than I thought. Because, um, you know, I don't watch on Saturdays as much. Um, and so I didn't realize he was really like that quick of a processor. So I think I- I'm really excited for him. And then obviously Stroud is really good. Um, and then some other guys, you know, we'll see. Levis is kind of interesting. Van Dyke is actually really interesting. The Miami guy. So We'll see. You know, I think there's a clear top two and then like a group of like five guys who are really interesting and we'll just see how their last year plays out. Okay. Well, you know, it's always interesting with these quarterbacks. There's always someone that comes out of nowhere. Uh, And uh, 
or not not always someone, but generally there's someone that comes out of nowhere. So we'll we'll see how it all plays out. Look forward to reading more of your thoughts on this quarterback class in the coming days, weeks, and months. Uh, but Derek, really do appreciate you coming on, sharing your insight into this Falcon draft class. Thanks for having me. It's always a good time. So guys, we're going to uh, wrap up today's episode uh, by answering two quick listener questions, uh, including if we're going to see Troy Anderson on offense this season. And we'll get into that as we continue today's Locked On Falcons podcast, guys. But before we get there, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why wait while the person behind the counter orders parts on their computer when you already have access to rockauto.com? at home or in your pocket, save time and money when using rock auto, instead of spending up to twice as much for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership, rock auto is a family business serving do it yourselfers for over 20 years with reliably low prices for every customer. They have everything you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Just go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And when you do right locked on in the, how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So guys, I want to once again, thank you for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. And of course, make sure you, uh, you know, check out Lockdown Falcons each day this week for Lockdown Drake London week. Of course, at the end of the week, we will be uh, doing the schedule breakdown on Thursday night slash Friday's episode. And then of course that all wraps up locked on Drake London wraps up on Sunday night, uh, Monday morning uh, with my comprehensive scouting report for him. But, you know, we'll finish out today's episode by answering a couple of uh, listener questions. The first one comes from Steven Falcon fan on Twitter. Uh, he asked, what do you think is the probability of Troy Anderson with his height, speed and athleticism? Will the coaching staff carve a sub two? tight end package with Kyle Pitts in the offense. Um, let's say it, the number is low, but it's not zero, right? You know, I, I don't expect the Falcons to deploy Troy Anderson on offense this year, but like, again, I won't say the, the number is zero. It's not a 0% chance, but it's probably like a 2% chance. I think they'll be more concerned about, you know, getting him up to speed on the defense and special teams and all that to mix in an offensive package, but certainly something that potentially down the road, the Falcons could mix in as part of their red zone package um, to, to give some unique looks in the future. So we'll see about that. But, you know, I think a lot of that depends on how good a linebacker Troy Anderson is. If he's a really good linebacker, then I don't think the Falcons could be too worried about that. Not to mention whether or not the Falcons, you know, have a good red zone offense, uh, in that case, but you know, I, I'm not expecting Troy Anderson to get too much run between the twenties is, is what I'll say, but we'll see. Um, our next question comes from Stephen B. He asks, I say Kyle Pitts would have been the easy number one overall pick had he been in the 2022 draft. Also, he would be more valuable on the open market than any 2022 player currently. What say ye? Um, well, yeah, I, I would agree with you on him being the number one pick. Um, I, I, you know, that was something that we talked about a, a bit on the podcast about how this year's draft class, were there anybody in this year's draft class that would have been a top 10 pick in last year's draft class? And the answer is probably no, but you know, again, that depends on who you talk to. I know some people thought 
highly of the tackles. I know some people thought highly of some of the pass rushers uh, that would have put them uh, in the top five to 10 conversation in last year's draft class. I didn't quite think of that highly of them. You know, I infamously was like, yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau is not better than Jalen Phillips um, from last year's draft class, but, uh, and he was like the 18th overall pick last year. But um, yeah, so I would agree with you. Kyle Pitts would have been the number one pick as for the most valuable on the open market. I don't know what that, what, what open market are you referring to? Are you talking about if Kyle Pitts was a free agent right now, he'd be more valuable than any of the 2022 draft, you know, draft picks. Okay, sure. Um, if you're saying that he would be more valuable than any free agent that hit the open market this past year, or you know the the Tyreek Hills and the Devontae Adamses and the AJ Browns that were you know traded this off season, you know I don't know if I would agree with you on that. I don't think you're expecting to get five draft picks from a team from Kyle Pitts quite yet. You know I think he could get there one day, uh, but I don't know if he's quite there yet um but he'd probably be near the top just because of the potential that he has uh moving forward so if that's what you're saying okay i i get that but i don't i don't quite understand what you mean by open market um so all right that that's going to do it for us guys here uh with our listener questions and there's always ample opportunity to submit questions to be answered. We, you know, one of the things I plan on doing over the next several weeks is not just basically saving questions to one big mailbag, you know, Q and a episode that we can answer these questions sporadically, uh, you know, each and every day or whatever the case may be. And of course the way that you can do that and help me do that is by submitting your questions uh, via Twitter, via Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, via email at LockdownFalcons at mail.com, or you can leave a comment here on the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel. Tomorrow's episode, we will be with Pac-12, uh, Lockdown Pac-12 host Spencer McLaughlin to continue our Lockdown Drake London look. Uh, and Spencer will be giving his thoughts on Drake London and what he potentially could bring to the table for the Atlanta Falcons moving forward. And so that's the plan for tomorrow. And of course, we'll have more content uh, surrounding Drake London, as well as the rest of the Falcons draft prospects in the coming days and weeks. And again, make sure you check out the uh, big scouting report that's coming Sunday night uh, on YouTube on Lockdown Falcons or Monday morning on your preferred podcast audio platform. So that'll do it for us here, guys. Hope you uh, have a great rest of your week. Till then. <laughs>